All right. So we are live again for another episode of Own Your Yes. I am your host, Valera Wilson, and I am so delighted each week to talk with amazing, successful female entrepreneurs and leaders in companies to to really go behind the scenes of our lives and and talk about the path to success the challenges and the lessons learned so that we as women collectively can thrive and grow and most importantly, own our yeses. So I'm so excited today to have with me Tina Powell, who is the CEO of C-Suite Social Media. And I am going to let her introduce herself. But We're today talking about something that's really important that I'm, I, I've seen so much in my own life, the lives of so many others, and that is fighting the comparison trap. So with that, I want Tina to go ahead and introduce herself. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody who's watching this right now, whether or not it's, it's a replay or if it's a live stream. What an honor to be here. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled and I'm so humbled by the fact that you would have me on today, Valera. And I think that I've been such, I've been an admirer of your work and how you've been bringing these conversations to the forefront. And, you know, they're really honest and authentic. So I'm going to go deep today and be very, uh, you know, very transparent on it. But, um, you know, I applaud you. I applaud the book. Um, you know, you're a person, you're a thought leader who is now, you know, having these kinds of conversations and making them fun. Like what a fun thing to be here. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to have just a great time today. And, you know, the stories and the things that you hear, it's not all rosy. It's been really mm -hmm. super, super hard. Right. And mm -hmm. so I'm so happy that we're telling that story because yes. we see each other. Right. Valera, we're talking about the highlight reel. Right. That's right. That's right. Spent a whole lot of time talking about the highlight reel. And yeah. that's not always real life. <laughs> exactly. And I do want to occasionally post and say, hey, you know what, guys, I'm having such an awful day here, you know. Uh, and, you know, I've done maybe one or two of those posts. But, you know, I think that um, it, it's it's a different environment. What what I've learned from the last from the last year is I have reflected on my life so deep, every single choice that that I've made, how I spend my time, you know, who I choose to surround myself with. And, you know, this was one big, I, I would say, celebration, meeting you during the pandemic, um, getting your book. Your, I, I'm telling you, your book launch it was the best fun I had during the pandemic. <laughs> Beautiful people. You know, we were drinking, we were having a fantastic time. And so, you know, there are celebrations too. And those celebrations come with the come with the challenges of life. So it really is truly an honor. And uh thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. I mean, we've I mean we've had some great conversations and I love your light, your energy, all the things that you do to support other women as well. Um, and I mean, I've been a guest on your podcast, so I, I, am glad that I now get to have you on, on, on my show too, to, to, to share your perspective. I mean, tell us people kind of what you do. What do you, what do you do currently? Sure. So I'm in the financial services industry and the, the thing that I, I, I want, the, the big thing about me being in the financial services industry is that it's a second career for me, right? I'm 54 years old. 
And then I came to the financial services industry purely by accident in my 40s, right? Before my 40s, um, my father suffered a massive stroke. And at the time, you know, he had been divorced from my mother for like, you know, 30 something years. Uh, he was remarried, then divorced again. And my father had issues. I love him dearly. Um, he really felt his loss enormously. Um, but he had some he had some problems, right? He died without financial planning at all. Um, it, it was exacerbated by the fact that he was um, in a nursing home for five years. He had drug problems. He had alcohol problems. So when he suffered a massive stroke, we had no financial planning around that. We had no insurance around it. And so five years, you know, going back and forth and being like part of the system really taught me that, hey, I, I want to learn about money and finances and this whole thing. And before that, I've always had a, I, I've always had a background in, in marketing and in business, right? Did my undergrads in business. I went out, uh, I have a master's from NYU um, in graphic communications management technology. I taught integrated marketing, taught C-suite lo- leadership, but there is a big piece missing in this, this, this theme of, oh my God, you know, what about this money thing? It's hard to understand. I don't have enough of it. I, I want definitely want more of it. Uh, my father died without it. And I saw what, how, how that could really affect somebody. So long story short, I came into the industry. I took a, it was um, Craigslist, right? <laughs> it's Craigslist. And I took a job as an assistant to the head of operations for Northwestern Mutual Life Financial Network. We were servicing a team of three insurance agents. And it was like 20, 20 hours a week, like $20 an hour. I was like, just get your foot in the door, right? Key takeaway, ladies here, get your foot in the door. <laughs> and that's how I came to the industry. And I knew that it was the right place, but I, I, I wanted to break in. And that was my first, that was my first um, entree. And I, I learned, I learned actually an awful lot. Um, Fast forward, it's such a long story again, you know, when you're five decades old, when you're half a century old, you have a long origin story. um, I really want everybody to just understand the why of financial services. Anybody can learn about money. That also too is a really key takeaway. And it's so empowering. It's one of the most empowering things that you'll ever do is to learn just something about money. Um, and so I found a way to bring what I love marketing digital, you know, I was part of the, um, internet before the internet happened, you know, learning HTML, taking my first online courses and really like digging deep. So that's been my, my passion. And then I came to, uh, after the position at, at Northwestern mutual financial network, I was doing some consulting. So it just so happened that I was consulting with uh, a company and I was doing a really, uh, really great, great, great work. Um, but then I started to, to develop my business even more and I grew my business. Actually, I did the first um, newsletter, the first electronic newsletter for Starwood in their food and beverage division. And that was like, that was a milestone to hit that. And so then I had my consultancy started to grow. I started to get more clients. 
And then one day, this is such a fun story. I love to tell it. One day, you know, the phone rings, old fashioned phone, right? Before <laughs> with, the, with the cord. And I go, you know, hello. And someone's calling from the agents from, for, for, um, had been referred. And so I pick up the phone. I'm like, hi, you know, and this company is called like, yeah, we referred to you from um, Robin Frizzell. And I was like, well, that's really great. But I have no idea who Robin Frizzell is. So it turns out that Robin Frizzell worked for Linda Panagia at 201 Magazine, where all of our clients, we were designing advertisings for them. We were placing really key like, pieces in there that was helping our clients get, get, um, get noticed and, and, and get customers, right? And that was my first entree. So it happened to be a wealth management firm. And this is back in 2007. Okay. So, right. So what happened is I worked for them for three years, right? Almost four years. And then they made me an offer and they said, Hey, we'd love for you to join the firm. And I said, yeah, I want to join the firm. Uh, you know, my father died in 2005. I started to learn all about money, started to learn about wealth management. So nine months after joining that wealth management firm, now, mind you, I have no real like major financial experience, but again, getting my foot in the door, I was willing to learn. I got my Series 65 license. I did every job in that organization. I learned how to do portfolio management accounting systems. I knew how to work the risk management uh, platform, learned everything I could, sat in every single prospect meeting for a period of seven years. Wow. Okay. And this is the thing that hit me, Valera, and it, it, it ties along a lot of the work that you're doing about empowering women and bringing us together to have honest conversations. I always felt like when you're in a wealth management firm for seven years and you hear every single conversation that you're, you like have this, you have, you have this crystal ball and it's like, oh, I could see like, I could see women in their thirties, their forties, their fifties, their sixties, their seventies, their eighties or nineties, you know, and, and even if you had the most, um, even if you had the, the best financial life, right, you had the money, you had socked away enough for retirement, there's so many other issues that come along with money. There's a responsibility. And just because you have money doesn't mean your life is okay. You know, some parts of your life are okay. And we, we, we agree that, yeah, it's, it's better to have money. I think, you know, Oprah said it like, yeah, I'd rather have the problems. I'd rather have money than not have money, um, you know, because it's the means to an end for you to be able to provide, live the way you like, be charitable. Um, so uh, back to the story. And sorry that it's all over the place here, but I joined the wealth management firm in 2010. I became a partner nine months later. I stayed there for almost eight years because we positioned the firm for sale. That firm was acquired. I took the equity stake that I had from that liquidity event and I started the consultancy that I'm in right now, C-suite social media. Got it. Yeah. So it's it, some defining moments. I mean, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it was, it, it, it is. It was, a, it's a defining moment because here I was, Valera. I was like, okay, you you did it, right? Goal goal achieved. You know, you sell the firm. You know, marketing was poising the firm for brand recognition, awareness. We had over a dozen conversations with prospective buyers, and we were acquired by an A plus firm, right? Got a great you know got a great package, but then it's like, okay, what's next? Yeah. 
you know, what was next? And I, I, I knew that I still wanted to stay in the, in the industry and I wanted to help women and I wanted to still do the type of work that I was doing and do it for more people. Mm. Mm. So I, I have this thing called the Oprah effect. At least that's what's I've kind of given it a name. And that you remember the episode. Well, I remember the episode when when Oprah's like, cars for everyone. And right. it was, can you imagine like how incredible that must have felt? To, and, you know, people are crying and it's like, you know, it's better than any, uh, you know, episode of the fight of the price is right. Like at the end where you win everything. And so the idea is this, if I can help a one company mm -hmm. and then that company helps the women that they serve. Right. Mm -hmm. So if our company C-suite social media can go into a registered investment advisor. And if we can help build their business, and in doing so, that they touch the lives of other women and they're able to reach more people, then we can now create a, a lifeline to that end client without that woman even knowing that we had a hand in her being there that day. Wow. And I mean, that's I mean, you bring up a good point. It goes back to purpose. And really doing something not just that just makes money, but that really is purposeful. And I definitely believe in that. And, and kind of let's unpack this, this process that you've had to go through. I mean, you know, I know we've talked about this, you know, talk, we, when we started, it's talking about these highlight reels. And everyone thinks that it's a exciting journey to start a business and it just happens and that, you know, everything is well. But I mean, you just brought up some things in terms of you didn't have a background of, of, of family members who had businesses, did you? I mean, what what was what did that look like for you to start it out? Yeah, so I mean, in in, in one hand, I did. So I had it was the entrepreneurship model for me growing up. So, well, first of all, my mother was a single parent. So my mother was a single parent. We grew up in um, you know in in apartments and moving all moving to different places. Um, and my mother working two jobs, my mother um, working as, as a waitress, and then also to getting her um, RN and, um, and becoming a uh, psychiatric nurse. So she would always leave in the morning for that job. And then at night, she would work as a, as a waitress. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, my mother would bring us to Bergen Community College in Paramus, New Jersey, because she was the oldest of nine. Again, the, my my grandparents and and that whole family unit. Nobody had any money. Going to college was like <laughs> you were lucky if you finished high school. Like, what is this college thing? So my mother um, brought us to the community college where she earned her associates and then her bachelor's. And then eventually, fast forward years into the future, she had her own bookkeeping business. She worked for a tax accountant for thirteen years. And she married my stepfather and my stepfather's no longer alive, but he was uh, an Italian immigrant. A Sicilian is very hard. Sicilian men are difficult, Valera. <laughs> um, but he was a, um, he owned a salon, Salon 22 in Tenafly, New Jersey. And one of the best decisions that they ever made was that, you know, he was, he, they were both entrepreneurs, but they made the decision to buy the real estate, to, to locate, in the best economic, um, you know, the best economic conditions there to give that business, you know, life and and knock on wood. I mean, 
it was a great business. My father always worked for other people. He tried to have his own business. He was a maitre d' in New York City at the Copain restaurant. Um, so, you know, I have very early memories of going to New York, but nobody ever had that corporate job. Nobody ever had that corporate job, which is like, hey, you know, let me explain what a benefits package is like, or, you know, mm -hmm. let me stop to you. That mm -hmm. narrative was completely missing. Nobody talked about investing, 401ks, while Roth IRAs were, were, were a thing or came came later. I think those, those came in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so so for me to be where I am right now is divine intervention. Mm -hmm. you know, and and really understanding what you don't know mm -hmm. and feeling so stupid about it. I was like, all these people were taking advantage. My father was in a nursing home. They were stealing everything from us. I was like, what can we do? You know, what can we say? What power do we have? And mm -hmm. knowledge is power, right? Yeah, that's that's what I wanna kind I want you all to take away. Like I watched my mother go from having like no college, no prospects of working in a normal, like a job that afforded her nine to five. You know, she worked like a dog, you know, two jobs. I mean, it was really, really hard growing up. And, you know, education provides you that knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge will improve, improve your life in ways that, and it's still, it still goes for today. And knowledge is more accessible than, than others. Even just reading your book, you're absolutely worth it. You know, read a chapter in a book, you do a couple exercises in that book that could just change your life and change a decision that could have an enormous impact on your life. You know, my mother decided to go to community college that eventually she went and earned a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. It took her like 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, so that ethic always modeled for me. Entrepreneurs work their butts off. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, we, from a curiosity perspective, when we talked about this is this, this thing of what did, you know, you mentioned, I didn't grow up, you know, with the corporate job. I did, I did see entrepreneurs and maybe all the examples weren't maybe ideal earlier on. What did you find the comparison trap coming in? Mm. Uh, I'll tell you exactly when the comparison, the comparison trap happened really, really early on in, in my upbringing. So I mentioned the fact that I was raised in a, a single parent household. And the reason why I want to tether it or I want to anchor it to such an early memory is because that's if you if you read any of the psychology, if you start to dig into these principles, this isn't just something that you feel like in your 20s and 30s. It has a beginning point of that. And that beginning point of that is your childhood and how you grew up. And I mentioned that we had lived in apartments and that my mother having this knowing intuitively that the only ticket that was going to get us out of the crappy apartment that we were in and out of the lifestyle that she was in was that kept her hostage was education. And so what she decided to do is even we were moved in a small apartment, we moved to the most expensive school district in Bergen County, New Jersey, Tenafly High School, right? And when I first came to Tenafly, that's when I started to do the comparison shop because I was like, wait, hey, I came from like, I came from going from like Hackensack to Tenafly. <laughs> that's like, that's culture shock, right? And here I am 
feeling kind of like comparing myself, all the other girls are wearing like really cool, cl cool clothes. You know, their parents are showing up with fancy cars. It was the first time actually that I had been to somebody's house where there were like full-time maids and housekeepers and they had racquetball courts in their car, in their house. I was like, <laughs> and I was like, wait, we, and I'm in the kitchen, Valera, I swear, I, it was like wild. So you could see their racquetball court. And, and I was exposed to an insane, insane amount of wealth. So growing up was super hard. And I was like, here I am, you know, like, like high school would come even, even senior year, right? You, and the people that I went to high school with, you know, uh, they're again enormous privilege you know their 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 parents were doctors and lawyers and founders of like big companies and so for their for their um uh 17th birthday you know you'd see like you'd go to the parking lot right and the all of the the cars and and whatnot and so that was that was really really hard I, i'd say like you know growing up as like the poor kid and then Moving to the most affluent was like a culture shock and always being like, wow, I look different. My house looks different. My car looks different. My parents look different. They don't have the same kind of like upbringing. Mm -hmm. So that's, that sticks with you. The good thing is like that, then what you, what you see, what you think is a crutch, mm -hmm. or what you think is like a bad hand. And, and, and if you go and you study like high performance, high achievement, it's yep. usually people who have been dealt a crappy hand mm -hmm. that you develop such skills yep. to spend for yourself. And one of the biggest skills, one of the big takeaways from that was delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. I am a master at being able to just say, hey, I always dream my, my mother would take me to Sears, right? To go clothes shopping. <laughs> And I remember looking at the business clothes and then, you know, looking at the, the career stuff for women. And I always knew, like, I'm going to wear those clothes someday. I'm going to get college educated like my mother. Right. And I knew that it would happen. And I just I just delayed gratification and I could live on the scrappiest of budgets. Right now, being an entrepreneur, being a founder of a startup company that's four years old, that not only doubled and but then tripled in coronavirus with I had I had savings in the bank, no PP loan necessary. And I know how to live on a scrappy budget. I know how to how to run a great PL. And now I'm I'm here, you know, um, and, and still that comparison sh I, I, I was going to ask you, how does right? that, does that show up? Right. It shows up again, right? It shows up again. So the consultant, the, the agency's almost four years old. And I'll tell you when it showed up big time. September 2019, right before coronavirus. Coronavirus was like March of 2020. It was like around my birthday and I was kind of feeling like, you know, your birthdays, you do a lot of, of reflection. And then I get a call from this headhunter, Right. And so this recruiter has this like unbelievable opportunity. And I, I spoke to my, um, I spoke to Mark about it and uh, my fiance and he's like, Oh my God, that. And I was like, yeah. And so I, and at the time, like business was good, but it wasn't great. And I had doubts whether or not that I was going to make it, you know, Oh, I'm a different age. That person's younger, prettier, 
you know, knows more, uh, has been in the industry for longer. She's been here and, and it's usually like a woman. It's normally like a female. And I started to really get down on myself. And so this recruiter called and he like sucked me in. It was like, you know, and he put the bait out and it was like, and I, and I like chomped on it. And so I went on seven interviews, right? Got really far up there. The chairman, the CEO, the um, chief administrative officer, uh, the chief operations officer. And everybody's like, you know, they're blowing sunshine, right? Oh, yes. Oh, Valera. Oh, yes. You know, and and I started to get like, you know, hooked in. And then it was the, the meeting with the chairman when I saw how an enormous wealth, enormous wealth, by the way, you know, and I'm in, in Central Park and I'm in a, a high, you know, looking over, overlooking Central Park. Yeah. And then I'll never forget it. Uh, someone, um, uh, you know, his servant there brought him coffee and breakfast and and she put it down and she looked like even the outfit that she was wearing looked like it was from something like 30 or 40 years ago he didn't say thank you the way that he treated her i swear to god valera i wanted to just get up out of my seat and just run and maybe i should have that day right and i it, it disgusted me it left such a pit in my, here I am, like I'm, I'm looking at this thing happening right before my eyes. And I'm like, did he just do that? She left like coffee, breakfast. Here she is like doting over him, everything. And so um, there's, there's a point to this story with the comparison trap, right? Comparison trap makes you feel less than. Then what happens is you start to lose your focus on the things that are important and other shiny objects start to grab your attention and you grab for it. One of the things I'm telling you is you're going to be aware that these are going to happen. So I grab for it, right? Shiny object syndrome, comparison trap. And after that day, I said, nope. I called the recruiter. I said, Rob, I'm out. And he goes, what do you mean, Tina? He goes, you've gotten more, you've gotten further than anybody there. You've met with this person, even went to the Harvard club and met with the VC guy. Like, that's how serious. And they're like, who is this? Like, no, you, you're, you're not kidding. I said, Rob, I'm out. I'm done. Okay. So that's what happens in the comparison trap. And it, you have to go inside to really then think about you get your validation from the inside. And that's what I did. I went inside and I said, you know what? I don't care if I was paid $5 million. You could not, you could not pay me to, to watch that, to watch the sickness, to be part of that culture of abuse and, and, and just against everything that I believed in to my core, it made the hair on my, the back of my neck stand up. Um, yeah, yeah, that was unbelievable. So then what happened? So then I doubled down. I said, you know what? I'm getting focused. The, um, the singularity of focus, when you start to go internal, start to journal, you start to do things, you start rituals that, that bring you inward and you talk about this in your book, Valeria. You talk about the fact journaling and writing things down. You know, and that's a big takeaway. Imposter syndrome, ladies, it's going to happen. Valera, it still happens. I could easily say, wow, here, and, uh, you know, 
hey, I'm on Valera. Valera has a book, right? Valera, you've got, you've accomplished a lot. I don't have a book, right? But now I'm going back to something you said. You yeah. said um, comparison makes you take your eyes off of what's important. Comparison makes you look at the thing that you don't have it in pretty much. And it, you, you start to belittle or discredit what you do have and look at the other thing as the thing to have. And I think that's such an important point that I, I hope ladies are catching us. I want to reiterate it is that when you're so focused on the other or what you don't have, you lose, you, you devalidate what you bring to the table. And I think that's such a phenomenal, I'll call it, put a pin in it, put a pin in that. But then you said something else earlier. You said, you know, what we think might be our, our disadvantages. And I talk about that in the book is actually it, it creates that scrappiness that we might need to have um, in order to move forward. And you're right. A lot of people that didn't grow up with wealth do phenomenally well because, you know, obviously people that did grow up wealth do, but because of what they didn't have and they realize I've got to fight for this thing. I've got to push for this thing. And so I think those are some really, really, really incredible points that you have made on this topic. And I, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up, but I want you to just maybe share, you know, if you were to, and you've been kind of dropping these nuggets throughout, if you were to just, to tell women two things to walk away with about comparing themselves and moving forward without invalidating themselves. What would you say to them, you know, to the women that are watching? Yeah. So number one, it's naturally going to happen. I, I think that it's just part of our, our core being, right? I think sports does this a lot, right? We grow up looking at, at sports and stuff and naturally we can compare people, but not everybody is like, not everybody was a Michael Jordan. Uh, and if you watch that series, actually, um, the last dance, you know, mm -hmm. right? Michael Jordan didn't do it on his own. So, you know, it, it, you, that comparison is, is built in us. Like society builds that. So it's naturally going to happen. So number one, ladies, is it's naturally going to happen because we're human, you know, and, and this is how we've, we've been conditioned from the earliest of times, by the way, it's not just like anything, anything new. Um, number two, catch yourself doing it. The biggest way that you can overcome, uh, you know, this this com this comparison yeah. is by being aware of catching yourself that, oh, yeah, oh, I'm doing that again. Oh, geez. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, can you think of all of the emerging uh, artists, right? Like Dua Lipa. Did Dua Lipa say, oh, wow, you know. I mean, I'm not a Lady Gaga. Imagine that kind of self-talk. So that self-talk is going to be there. Catch yourself doing it. And number three, and it, it goes right to what Valera was saying, right? All the excess, but the key word there was gratitude. The key word that Valera just said was gratitude. Literally write down. And that's how I started to you know, escape it, right? Again, every now and then it, it comes in. And any time that it comes in, it's because I've kind of stepped away from what would my normal routine would be, right? My normal routine, going to Orange Theory, meditating, journal, reading, you know, and building like building, putting a fortress around your mind. Mm -hmm. It takes work to do that, right? So, you know, writing things down and what you're grateful for, a grateful for. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so like, everybody's like, oh, you're so happy. I'm not always so happy. I'm happy on social media, 
right? <laughs> There's plenty of times that I'm unhappy too. I don't like, if you want to see them, t talk to me, text me. I'll make sure that I FaceTime you in, during those moments. Mm. But I'm because I'm so grateful, that's where I'm so happy. My life could have been completely different. Yeah, I know yeah. so many people that are not alive right now. Yeah. I know so many people yeah. that even in high school with all of the money, you know, I am truly, truly grateful just to breathe life and air and yeah. wake up and that, you know, try taking care of your father for five years in a wheelchair, yeah. right? I'm, I'm very much grateful for, for everything, including yes. being, you know, everyone here listening, your book, being in, being part of your squad, Valera. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I love it that you ended on that word grateful because it's so true. Um, that is, I mean, that is major. It's to take a moment to be thankful for what you do have and where you are. And I posted something on Twitter a couple of days ago that reminded me of this. And I said, sometimes we're not exhausted or we're, we're, we're not tired because we're busy. We're tired because we're busy trying to run someone else's race. Mm. That is one of the most exhausting things and exercises that we could ever take on. So ladies, I encourage you, everything that Tina has just said, take moments to be grateful don't try to run someone else's race. I promise you, you're going to be drained and exhausted in the process. So thank you so much, Tina, for joining us today and sharing with us the nuggets of life that you have learned. And I am grateful for you, for your, your laughter and your joy. Your, your Just knowing you has been a, a tremendous opportunity and, and carrot and, and bright moment in my life. So thank you so much. Um, ladies, for those of you that are watching, Make sure that you join us again next Thursday here live at your lunchtime break um, at 12 noon Eastern for another discussion of On Your Yes. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much. You are welcome.